How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Well, guys, welcome to episode number 45. 45. 45. Yeah, that's for those of you who aren't local to Minnesota, that's one of our local TV stations. So this is episode number 45. It is Tuesday night. It is our favorite night of the week. And we have a great special guest coming up in just a few minutes. We want to thank you guys so much mm. for joining us. As always, we are live, sponsored by Drew Estate. And uh, Drew Estate wants to tell you about the Cigar Safari program reopening in 2020. Used as in, uh, uh, sorry, um, since 2008, Drew Estate has been the industry leader in cigar tourism through their Cigar Safari program. Safari presents an opportunity for consumers and retailers to take a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Drew Estate's Nicaraguan Cigar Factory and explore the ecotourism of Nicaragua. At La Grand Fabrica Drew Estate, guests learn the entire process of creation from seed to cigar, including the magic experience of blending their own cigars. While visiting Subculture Studios, attendees will have Drew Estate's very own art team custom paint an item of their choosing. The experience is truly unforgettable and unique among cigar manufacturers. For more info, please visit CigarSafari.com. So, uh, Garrett, I think there was a little something that happened on Sunday. 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 <sighs> oh, are you talking about the uh, the sports ball game? The sports ball game, yeah. Yeah. The, between, what was it, the, the Kansas City barbecues and the oh, yeah, San Francisco, we... or wait, the... Uh, no, the Can- Kansas City uh, baby backs. <laughs> baby backs and the San Francisco 96ers. 96ers. Old, old 96ers. Old 96ers, uh, yeah. Actually, it was a very entertaining game to watch. It was. Uh, so I was, I was happy that, you know... None of our teams were in it, but I was happy that the game was exciting to watch. It was great. And you know what? Uh, as much as I really wanted to to root for the NFC, yeah. I found myself I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. And there's, I don't know. There's just something about, um, that, I don't know, seeing this young kid, Patrick Mahomes, just, just he's, he's, think, he, he could be the next big thing. I think we are watching the beginning of the next generation between – not only Patrick Mahomes, but also, I mean, Baltimore's got their rock star coming up. Um, you know, so, yeah, I think, you know, we're going to see the the Bradys and, yeah. you know, um, all of those guys start to, to retire. Brady, and, Rogers. Brady, Rogers. Burger. Yep, Ben, Big Ben. Yep. Uh, there's a guy in New Orleans who, who does all right. Bre- Breeze does okay. He's, he's all right. He's all right. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a good game to watch. So I hope uh, everybody out there spent some time at their local brick and mortars, uh, supporting their shops and uh, smoking some great cigars while watching some pretty great football. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't want to wait tonight. I want to just dive right into it. So just uh, just go, guys. We're super excited. We have a great special guest this evening on How About That Cigar, episode number forty-five. The executive director of Cigar Rights of America, Mr. Glenn Loop. Glenn, welcome to the show. How are you? Glenn. It's, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. This is a first for us. Absolutely. We are, we're so excited and so grateful that you're coming on the show with us. Um, and uh, we, have, we have so much to talk about. Uh, there's some r- really great stuff happening in the, in, in the cigar world right now, and, and we're excited to learn more about it from you. Um, before we get into it, I want to uh, let everybody know that our, our feature spot right now is sponsored by Corona Cigar Company and coronacigar.com. They are the Internet's largest and easiest-to-use virtual cigar store. Um, at Corona Cigar Company, they take pride in being cigar fanatics just like you and me. That is why you will find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. You will also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. 
as a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Mr. Jeff Borschwitz, believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special, special Florida sun-grown tobacco. For more info on all of that, please visit CoronaCigar.com and FloridaSunGrown.com. Boom. And I want to give a shout-out to uh, Sodi Cigar um, oh, in, yeah. in uh, Stillwater, Oak Park Heights, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, it's always just a, a treat to be able to do our show from here and uh, always like to give them the love. Absolutely. I appreciate you reminding me of that and, yeah. and for all of our uh, listeners and viewers. Um, for those of you guys who are watching, take just a second to share us out to your favorite Facebook cigar groups. Yeah. And if you are listening on the podcast, thanks so much. Take just a moment, if you would, please, and uh, give us a nice fat rating of five stars on your favorite podcast platform. So, Mr. Loop, tell us where you're broadcasting from live tonight. Well, this interview goes no further unless you call me Glenn. Okay. Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> look too damn old as it is. I don't need to call Mr. Uh, it's I'm a deal. The, I'm at the Casa de Monte Cristo in Washington, D.C. Fantastic. And I, uh, I heard, I heard I thought our I thought our friends at Shelley's might be a little bit loud, and the folks here at Casa de Monte Cristo were nice enough to get me a a spot up upstairs. Yeah, it's it's, it's a great. Uh, I've, I've heard it's a really great spot in the DC area. Um, I heard there's also something going on live as we speak somewhere else in the in the DC area. Um, it, it's a post Super Bowl thing, I hear. I don't know. A post, <laughs> yeah, post Super Bowl thing, definitely. But, no, I, I, it's on right in right in front of me, and there's a hardcore political junkie. As much as I love you guys, it's terribly difficult to pull myself away from the TV yeah. that's in front of me. And there's no there's no captions below, so I can't tell what he's saying. But yeah, the State of the Union is tonight, and yep. uh, that makes me glad I'm on this side of the city actually, because our offices are below. As I was talking to you before the show, right below the Senate, and it's just you know mass shutdown of that side of, of Washington before, during, and and after the uh, the State of the Union. It's it's actually fun to sit on the street and watch uh, one motorcade after another zip up. Constitution, Independence, and Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we actually have a viewer question already, and I got to put this one up there. Um, Nick Melillo, Nick R. <laughs> he wants to know, Glenn. He wants to know what you're smoking. I am smoking an Ashton Symmetry. Oh. And I, I rarely, thanks a lot, Nick. But I rarely talk about <laughs> what I'm smoking because I love them all. I love them all equally. <laughs> No, that's great. That's great. Nick, thanks very much for watching. Um, we really yeah. appreciate it. Um, so, you know, there's there's so much going on in the in the cigar world right now, Glenn. And, and you know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on here at How About That Cigar is just, you know, teaching consumers about what's going on in the world of premium cigars. And maybe if we if we get everybody just just a little bit more informed about, um, you know, what what, uh, you know, uh, governments and government agencies are doing or not doing and trying to do. You know, maybe we'll have a little bit better shot at, uh, you know, keeping some of these things at bay. So before well we get into nuts and bolts of it, give our listeners and viewers just a little bit of an idea of your of your cigar history and how you came to be the, the director of the uh, CRA. Well, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Uh, <laughs> in 2006, I, I was just a, a consumer in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, we and right our cigar shop was 100 years old in 2012. Uh, there's not many 100-year-old shops in, in America, but one of them's in Roanoke, Virginia. And 
right beside it, it was a brand new locally developed steakhouse, which ended up being just one of the great steakhouses of America, purely local. And I walked in and saw that bar, and it was the first time Roanoke, Virginia had a place like, and I said, this is the kind of place you're supposed to smoke a cigar. So yeah. I went next, I went next door, I walked in the humidor, picked out a cigar, took it in, and, and it was love at first sight after that. So the, the local shop knew I was in politics. I knew I was a lobbyist for a lot of other interests I had my own lobbying firm. And in 2006, a local state senator introduced the first smoking ban in the history of Virginia. And the idea of a senator that represented our region introducing a smoking ban that would prevent me from walking into that steakhouse, into that bar where I was welcome, and every cigar smoker in the valley was welcome, just grated my soul. So we worked with the state's retailers together uh, at the encouragement of my local shop uh, to pull together a coalition of retailers uh, in 2006. First time that ever happened, Cigar Association of Virginia was formed, which was like second only to Maryland, I believe, as a state association. And and we we beat it off in 2006, seven and eight. And that allowed me to get to know a lot of the folks in the industry and some others were starting to we brought in Rocky Patel and some others to help uh, on the smoking ban issue. And we got into a dialogue and the rest is history, if you will. That was 11 years, four months, seven hours, 12 seconds ago. Um, I didn't know it would turn into a, a lifelong, uh, not just a passion, but a vocation yeah. uh, where I was able to combine my, my love of politics and, and love of cigars. Awesome. And uh, so when you look back in that time of, you know, 2006, 2008 to 2008, was the, the focus really about separating um, cigars from, you know, cigarette tobacco as much no. as today? Or no. how, you know, so take us back to to that era. And what it's crazy the, you brought it up like that. April 14th, I believe. No, April the 9th, 2009, was my first industry meeting with all the manufacturers in Miami. And S-CHIP was really the beginning of a formal political effort on behalf of this industry. Not not, not me, not CRA. Uh, I was at the convention in Houston, Texas, at the RTDA convention, when all hell broke loose and, and the S-CHIP taxes were first proposed, literally at $10 a stick. Yeah, $3 a stick and they got it down to 40 cents. Uh, it's my understanding after that show, people like Christian Aurora, George Padron, Jeff Borchowitz, Rocky Patel, a handful of others, all came to Washington and their grand political strategy was, quote, this is a verbatim quote, talk to anybody willing to talk to us. Yeah. Mm. And, and that was the origins. They said that they knew something different politically had to happen. And S-CHIP was the great wake-up call. And in 2009, the Tobacco Control Act was coming into being. Mm -hmm. And um, I stood up in front of the manufacturers there and I said, I, I got news for you, ladies and gentlemen. S-chip was just practice. S-chip was just practice. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you're about to confront the toughest thing you've ever confronted in your, in your professional lives. And because when you give any federal agency the power to do something, they're going to do it. And a lot of people thought, and I won't name names, but a lot of people thought they were going to be obsessed with the subject of cigarettes and smokeless into the next generation. And I said, listen, they're going to come up right behind you. 
And, you know, if you read the book Velvet Glove, Iron Fist on the history of the anti-smoking movement, you really realize that if the premium cigar industry started to get its political act together in the late 80s, early 90s, just pre-boom, pre-proverbial boom, uh, it'd be a very different political dynamic today. But as I'm fond of saying, we're not going to be the first industry and we're not going to be the last to cause its way back from political Armageddon. There we and, go. And I, and I think today is, I mean, what's happened in the last 24 hours is indicative of that. I think yep. vic- victories around the country where retailers and consumers are successful at fighting off smoking bans, taxes, and local and state regulation are examples of that. And we can go into some of those. Yeah. Uh, but it, I just said, on a, I've said this on numerous, numerous broadcasts that if there's been any benefit at all, to this process from the time that the president signed the tobacco control act to uh to cigars being deemed subject to regulation i've said it has forced the industry to study itself mm. and it we now have as a result of that economic public health demographic data that we never had before at our disposal yeah. has it been expensive yes but this decision we're going to talk about with the courts is living proof that if you, you amass this body of evidence, this body of research, that this industry is completely capable of defending itself against the nanny state. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, passionately. And that's been the one benefit of this entire process since really 2010 when the first threat appeared in the federal register that, that they intended to come after premium handmade cigars then they come up the deeming rule in 14 final rule in 16 and up until literally uh last july 25th when we filed this 529 page body of research with the cigar association of america and the premium cigar association and ourselves 529 pages that really documented for the first time what our demographic is that we don't have the association with addiction and mortality associated with other tobacco products. We now have economic impact analysis yeah. that demonstrates that a hundred percent of the profit margin for every cigar company would go into complying with the rule. We didn't have that kind of data before. We didn't have that type of fiscal impact information. We didn't have that public health data at our fingertips. And now we're completely able to defend ourselves as an industry. And I think what happened with the courts is indicative of that. Yeah. You're getting ahead of me a little bit on a question that I had. Well, what, what I what I want to do is because there's there's a lot of stuff to dive into, but for for the consumers who are um, more more everyday casual cigar consumers who aren't necessarily like like cigar nerds like us, but still enjoy the premium hand rolled cigars. Sure, give us an idea of what the CRA is and why it exists. Well, Cigar Rights of America was born in the in the wake of S Chip, and really in July of 2008, um, I came on board late December 2008. Uh, so I really be- consider January of 2009 our, our really begin- true beginning. A lot of industry leaders got together, did a nationwide tour, to, did a big launch, and literally there was you know 1,600 people in a database and. Uh, it, it just evolved and kind of taken on a life of its own. But to go to the heart of what you guys talk about with the, the consumer, it was to create a grassroots movement, a grassroots cadre capable of helping to defend the political positions of this industry. Yeah, I, I say time and again, the best $18,000 a year that CRE spends is on our petition system. 
It's linked to every elected official in America, literally. So if there's a tax issue in Maryland or, or uh, uh, New York like there's about to be, or Virginia like there is right now, we can link and design a petition which we have linked to every official in that given state. It's linked yeah. to every member of Congress. And we'll get into this part about our petition to Congress on our legislation. But all you have to do is put in your name and your zip code, and we take care of the rest. And it goes to your two U.S. senators and your member of Congress. It's a way to engage the consumer. We're still teaching the consumer to be engaged in the political process. For the last several years, I've spoken at the uh, Cigar Fish Night at Big Smoke Seminar in Vegas. And I said, folks, you, you are no longer a cigar smoker. You are a cigar voter. And if you feel passionately mm. about your ability to sit in a cigar shop like you, I am now and you are there uh, to, you're with your buddies at your local cigar club or lounge or, for that matter, on your back porch, if you have a passion for that, you have no excuse but to be involved in the political process. Amen. I mean, if you, if you enjoy shooting, you know what to join. Yep. If you know it, if you enjoy you know, drinking, you know, to fight taxes. If you enjoy it, Baba, I could go down the list and it's almost like what Lincoln said, a man with no vices has very little virtue. Well, pick one and it's under attack by the government. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's just that now we've got, you know, 10 years of work behind us to build this base. There's three to four million, you know, consistent. And by consistent, it could be one a week, one every other week. A person who considers himself a cigar smoker. Three to four million in the country. Well, there's not a special interest group in this country that wouldn't give the right arm for three to four million people. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of engaging. So that's where it's frustrating when you go to big events like a, a Big Smoke or a Cigar Fest or something. Be, oh, I've never heard of you as an organization. And I'm like, God, you know, we're trying to spread the gospel any way, we, any way we can, but there's still consumers to reach. And that's the reason I appreciate opportunities like this. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to... Uh, just let the viewers and listeners know uh, cigarrights.org. I want to kind of reiterate that over and over in the show to make sure that people know about cigarrights.org. Go there and, you know, just like Glenn said, it's super easy to uh, find out what's going on and sign petitions and uh, donate. And, and join and join, join the CRA. We've got some great specials going there. So uh, we, we, you know, the benefits come back to you. Plus, you get our weekly or biweekly information on every political uh, issue that we're confronting in the country, literally. And uh, Glenn, so I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, so that data piece that you were talking about that we didn't have a whole lot in the late '80s, early '90s, pre-boom, but we have a lot of data now. Uh, what are some of the, the studies and statistics that not only cigars and premium cigars fell victim to maybe too early and better data and studies that we have now? Well, I'm glad you asked it in that context because there were two occurrences that played into this lawsuit. One was the very fact that the FDA considered the option to exemption in the final rule. When they even considered it, it planted the seed of doubt that we should not be treated like every other tobacco product. That's incredibly politically significant. Yeah. And, and kudos to the industry for saying we should be exempt and rounding up a political coalition to say we ought to be exempt. And that being included simply as an option had a factor in all of this today, literally. The other piece of the puzzle is after 
Dr. Scott Gottlieb was deemed uh, com commissioner, President Trump's commissioner, he pledged to revisit the rule as it pertained to premium cigars. And he was true to his word. And they, they solicited a new public comment that separated us from vape and e-cigarettes and the stuff we were lumped in together with before. And, uh, and that that exact same time of filing, the uh, New England Journal of Medicine came out with a new analysis. The American Medical Association came out with a new analysis. The Centers for Disease Control came out with a new analysis. And all that data broke our way. Yeah. Um, no statistically significant impact on mortality. Lack of association with addiction and lack of, uh, of any statistically relevant youth access. Yeah. Well, those, th those three were the cornerstones of why Congress voted for the Tobacco Control Act in the first place. Yeah, those are the big three. And that's the reason we said it. And we were just heard Congressman Bill Posey, one of our, our early champions in Congress today, speak to the Premium Cigar Association group uh, on Capitol Hill today, said this sig signified how the FDA clearly went beyond congressional intent. Yeah, we, we weren't even named in the Tobacco Control Act when they, they just set up a process to bring us under their domain. And we were never named by Congress to be brought into that process. And, and I, I think all this today is crystallizing that thought. Yeah. So for us here, being, you know, cigar lovers in Minnesota, um, we had a really big bright spot in, uh, you know, a uh, taxation relief in the last few years here in minnesota we had you did huge tax cap the the tax cap was like nine dollars fifty cents thanks in large part to minnesota representative jim nash yes jim yeah. nash big shot i met him i love that guy yeah. yeah and and he and so many shop owners and so many dedicated people around here worked so hard to to get that to go through and it made a huge difference for the brick and mortar stores here in minnesota Oh, so the leadership that, of the retailers was fantastic in that. Yeah, effort. and that's just that's one of those bright spots, and that's one of the things we want to talk about tonight. Is there's, yeah, there's you know, there are, there are very serious issues at play here, and there's a lot of things. There's a lot of work to be done, but but it's not all doom and gloom. There are some really good things happening, and in the last 24 hours, something huge came down the pipe. Huge, that, that, big glee. That, that is a big that is a that is a, a real potential you know, uh, game changer for, you know, getting, getting the ship pointed in the right direction as far as regulatory things go. So give us an idea of, of what happened and, and what it really means. Well, I think during the show, we should, you should have a reading. Can you see it to read it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> see my coffee stain on it already. That's perfect. Uh, That's perfect. This was, this was judge made his decision. This 39 pages that I'm holding. And, uh, he really, uh, it's an amazing document. And it goes to the heart of showing how what's happened in the bureaucratic process over the last several years truly triggered and, and uh, contributed to this decision. Uh, kudos to uh, El Cabano uh, Cigars and Fuego, and the Texas Cigar Merchants for spearheading this effort in Texas. The case was brought back to Washington in front of Judge Maida, um, who I, I've sat through the hearings with, uh, well, looking at. And uh, there's a few things more intimidating than, than sitting in federal court, I can tell you that. Uh, but it's, it's been an amazing process just to get to this point. Yeah. But, but the heart and soul of this one is that 
the industry is not going to be compelled to cover these artistic, skilled artisan cigar boxes with a 30% warning label. Yeah. That are based upon flawed science, a lack of justification uh, in this entire bureaucratic process. And that's the long and the short of it because the flaws during the bureaucratic process, uh, the lack of adhering to the Administrative Procedures Act, lack of a proper economic impact analysis, uh, basing it upon questionable science because we were being used with studies that are associated with completely other tobacco products. Right. And because the FDA acknowledged that we are in some way distinctive under option two, it again plants that seed of doubt. And we just said not, you can't have a one size fits all approach to tobacco. Why have a, a cigar application for substantial equivalence or a pre-market approval process that mirrors a, a cigarette approval process? Yes. Um, there's, why would you have them subject to a testing regimen that would cost millions of dollars? I mean, this industry would cost millions of dollars to comply with a harmful and potentially harmful constituent testing process, yeah. which has also been delayed uh, through this entire process. Um, or a, a substantial equivalence application that could cost, you know, a maker uh, a half a million dollars to put a new cigar on the market. And they loved questioning that data. But when you tallied up what you needed in consultants and the like, it, it's mega six digits. And I would go to a small boutique manufacturer and I would say, you know, what if you were confronted with having to pay $250,000 to put a cigar on the market? And it's like, throw your hands up. No. Yeah. And that goes to the heart of your question about why consumers should be involved. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy going to the shop and finding something new on a shelf, you want to experiment a little bit, these, you know, everybody from the largest of companies to the smallest are putting new blends on the market, but it's an all natural agricultural product. There's no nicotine manipulation. There's no chemical manipulation. What you right. smoked is what came out of the ground for God's sake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why there should be a universal standard for these types of questions. It shouldn't be literally applications for, and I'm not making this number up, for 50,000 SKUs in the cigar industry. And that was the number used in our last public comment on this question of substantial equivalence. So the reason that your, your brethren consumers ought to be engaged, our brethren consumers ought to be engaged in this process, is because you want to keep innovation alive. Yeah. I agree with my friend Hori Armenteros at Tobacco's University. And a little taste of Cuba up in uh, Princeton, New Jersey. We're living in a renaissance of cigar making time. Amen. Some mm. of the greatest, you know, I have this habit of smoking all the great stuff, the same stuff all the time because you know what I like. But you could stop right now and start experimenting, and it would take a lifetime to get through just some of the truly yep. wonderful cigars on the market. Yep. yep. <laughs> wow. Excuse me. Why make it a challenge to put new blends on the market, whether you're an existing company, <coughs> excuse me, whether you're an existing company or a brand new company, why make it so bloody complicated to, through the bureaucratic process to put a new cigar on the market? Yeah. So one of the things that um, I've talked about a couple times, but my, my day job, I work at a law firm. I'm, a, I'm not an attorney. I work in the technology wing of things, but, but I know dealing with a lot of attorneys and working closely with a lot of them that, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of 
uh, anything that deals with uh, legal things, especially when you when you have to um, uh, work against or for regulations and things like that. There's a lot of money involved. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money involved, and it's unfortunate that it's that way. But it is what it is. There, it, it has That's to right. be. So, tell us a little bit about the the money that comes into the CRA and the money that goes out of the CRA. Where does the money come from, and where do you put it? What do you put it towards specifically? Great question. Uh, we virtually meet all of our direct overhead for our staff, a total of four of us, uh, with our dues with our consumer and retail dues and our special fundraising initiatives that allows us to uh to isolate our major manufacturer contributions for the big ticket lobbying and litigation expenses so uh i hope that makes that part of it very clear yeah Uh, we we have to raise consumer dues and the like for our direct overhead and retail and fundraising and the like and and then that allows us to preserve those, those significant manufacturer dollars for these types of fights. Yeah, I will give you a raw number right now on our separate case. Uh, the employee case is totally separate from us. Um, on on our case with the partner with the Cigar Association of, of America and the, and the Premium Cigar Association, the Premium Cigar Association and CRA have collectively spent right at four and a half million dollars on that litigation. Yeah. And that's since the fall of 2016, four and a half million dollars. It's a lot of money to a lot of cigar makers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And puzzling it together is a way I have to spend all too much of my time. Uh, but but they know what's at risk. And everybody's got to play their part. Everybody, everybody has to play their part in this. This is not a burden that should be borne by a small handful of cigar companies. And uh, but we've got a coalition of about you know uh, 45 to 65 companies that are consistent contributors to that part of the process. Uh, we've spent about 2.7 million on the, the House and Senate lobbying. We have CRA has over the course of the last six to eight years, which in Washington is a, a lot of special interest groups could take that out of petty cash. Yeah. We have to puzzle it together through a a host of, of contributors from the manufacturing arena, the retail arena, and, and the consumer. So uh, Washington is not a cheap town to, to do the business of politics. Yeah. yeah. Or, lit, or litigation. Yeah. So um, what I'm hearing is, you know, uh, CRA members um, paying money. You go and you golf with a bunch of guys in Washington. <laughs> You know, I never played golf in Washington. <laughs> I have never played golf in Washington D.C. or or many of the suburbs, <laughs> and never never in a political context. I can tell you that. Yeah. How much does the the elbow rubbing happen in your kind of lobbying? Well, it's it's what I call shoe leather politics. Okay. We spend a lot of time walking mile after mile to mile between three house office buildings, three Senate office buildings, staff change over all the time. So you got to do repeat performances in one office after another. Uh, personally, I've done over 500 congressional offices since this began in 2011 with the, le- with the legislation, my staff and our consultants, you know, you're looking at well over a couple of thousand visits, repeat visits over four sessions of Congress, uh, to get to where and put a half a million and talk about the petition and to put a half a million 
um, petitions into the into the U.S. Congress. Well, anytime you get over a quarter of a million, and you walk into an office and say, "I'm here about uh, HR sixteen thirty nine," they go, "Oh, the cigar guys are here." Uh, that's what, especially in House of Representatives offices, they keep a track of those yays and nays on significant legislation. Yeah. They get, are you a constituent? Check. Do you live in my district? You know, check. And uh, and that's the significance of the, that personal touch of all this process. And uh, yes, we've got a strong relationship with a, a strong core of those that are passionate about defending this industry, especially from Pennsylvania and Florida, where so much of the economic footprint of this industry mm-hmm. e- exists. But, uh, you know, I've been in offices where one cigar shop in rural Illinois made a phone call and got their member of Congress on our bill. So you wow. can't dismiss that, that localized touch. And yeah. all, all too sadly, there's too many that have not done that outreach. But we've had consumers from Oklahoma to, to Minnesota. You know, one of my favorite former members of Congress, John Klein from Minnesota, was a staunch defender, yeah. had many, many, many cigars with us when he was in the House of Representatives. Yeah. And you build that type of relationship and it will pay off for battles that are well into the future. Yeah. And what is the, uh, so when people go to cigarrights.org and they sign a petition, what is the power of those petitions? Well, if we get a concentration of them in a given congressional district, it can be incredibly significant. The, the member will be like, well, why, why did I get, you know, 1,500 calls? So, listen, some of these guys win by three, four, five thousand 5,000 votes. Votes. Every cigar shop in America probably has a footprint of two to three thousand people that walk into their shop yeah. at, at, at any given time, and that's what makes us. You know, I keep using the term, and I've used the term for the last eleven years. So much of this job is about building cigar smokers up as a bona fide political constituency. Yeah. Um, so, when we talk about regulatory stuff with you and with some other people, you know, there's there's some there's some dividing lines, you know, obviously with, with tobacco in general, there's, there's obviously dividing lines, big tobacco, mm-hmm. big cigarettes, completely out of the picture, not, sure. not related in any way, shape or form. Sure. But when it comes to the stuff that, that specifically the CRA focuses on, is there, is there a dividing line when it comes to flavored and machine made products or is the, focus strictly on non-flavored premium hand-rolled cigars and 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 specifically related to that is it is it for premium cigar exemption is that is that the number one goal well that's a great uh way to put it and i'm glad you phrased it in that context there's three major trade groups that represent the industry the cigar association of america the premium cigar association and and cra with that the part, first part of your question is, yes, there are dividing lines. And I don't say dividing lines in a negative context. They're just lines. Yeah. They're because they represent separate and distinctive political issues. Flavors are under attack. That's a political reality. Some of the flavor bans are written so broadly, though, that they could bring in this. You know, if you... If you're looking at the legislation now in California or the bill that was that was recently filed in Virginia, uh, the way it's written that if you use flavored descriptors and to you know if you're on a show and you hear that it's got citrusy notes and I detect walnut, oh my God, it could be a flavored cigar. Well, of course that's a that's that's a total fiction. 
Yeah. Just because you drink a Cabernet and you have a raisin note doesn't mean there's raisins in it. Right. It means that's what the palate picks up on, for God's sake. And so that flavored ban and flavored attack is a, a totally separate byproduct of the entire regulatory and, and political process by the principally the healthcare groups that spend their passionate days fighting the fighting us uh, consistently. And I never get cease I never cease to be amazed by their creativity. Uh, and that's the angle that they're they're going at. So there are distinctive battle lines within the cigar industry, and I'll be perfectly candid. I mean, we take a very pure pure approach to this. Um, our board and we and, uh, endorse the definition. It's very strict of what a premium handmade cigar is, but there's different variations of that because of all these nuances within the industry. Yeah, and then there's the entire mass market and and separate machine made debate. Well, we get into this some other time, but the Cigar Association of America does a very good job of fighting, fighting flavor bans. They, they are there in defense of all things you know, across the board. Yeah. So when mass market cigars and machine-made cigars are under attack, there they, they, they are, and they do their job. Uh, the, the Premium Cigar Association, I believe, shall we say, are the moderates and come down in the middle. And I'm just talking in raw political terms. This is not finger point. This is political reality I'm talking about. Absolutely. And and we take a, a very pure approach to this as to what a premium handmade cigar is. Um, so I think everybody's got their job to do. Yeah. Everybody's got their, their battle plan. And between the three of us, I think the, the bases are covered for the industry as a whole. Yeah. But our focus is principally the traditional family-owned cigar companies of Latin America and the United States that are making this product for the uh, discerning adult consumer. And I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what are, what are some of, some of the, the, the wackiest, most untrue things that you, (laughs) that you hear from lawmakers or from, from, uh, so-called, um, uh, medical experts who who contribute to fda research things like that what what are some of the strange i love, this. I love the way you ask these questions this is great i don't <laughs> i don't get questions like this all the time um that this is equally as addictive as a pack of cigarettes yeah which is and and the the strangest thing is the fda funded their own study that concluded the opposite is true well that's true and there's several studies that clearly document the lack of, again, impact on mortality and addiction. Yeah. But, but uh, the, when the final rule was written and the final rule came out, they did everything humanly possible to equate this as an equal uh, partner with chemical, I'm sorry, with nicotine addiction as, as a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. And early on in the process, I remember I was looking up here on the screen at State of the Union, I saw Senator Bob Casey from Pennsylvania, who's a who's a, a co-sponsor of our Senate exemption legislation. So this State of the Union, the background's helping me trigger some thoughts. And I remember meeting with Senator Casey's legislative director, and he said, oh, well, wait, we got to wait on this. We got some information coming from FDA. And it was exactly about this subject of, of equating a cigar with, with an equal path to addiction as a pack of cigarettes. And I'm like, 
you've got to, it was the first time in Senator Casey, first time we I've been hit with that one. And now it's and now it's very consistent because it's a message they they just pound the dickens out of on, on the hill by the, the body parts lobby. Yeah. Well, there's there's so much happening right now. I'm I'm personally uh, excited for for the future. I, I I'm an optimist by nature. I don't I, I'm not, you know, um, uh, I, I'm not in this camp of of freaking out and, and, you know, saying, you know, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. I genuinely think that that uh, the also, sky is not falling. We, yeah. We have the, <laughs> yeah. They, uh, we, they, we have well, it right there. And frankly, this the way the judge wrote this opinion could open up the door for a lot of different opportunities to question other facets of the regulation. Yeah. And, and we're back in court on March the 18th in the fourth circuit on the question of substantial equivalence, which is another big deadline looming over the, the head of the industry. And uh, it's, you know, we're asking for an expedited decision because of, uh, because of that deadline. Yeah. But, but believe it or not, the, we're actually, you know, talking the same language as the FDA on that. They don't want to do it either. And they right. too have filed in court. They don't want to. They were compelled to take this aggressive path because of Judge Grimm's decision in Maryland, uh, where he sided with the healthcare groups on this. Well, and it's one this this ruling about the the uh, the warning labels. The, the the judge said it so clearly, and it 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 leads to, like you said, it leads to further um, uh, clarity that the FDA really doesn't have. They don't have any idea. What, if you look forward to substantial equivalency, they don't have any idea how to even write up the substantial equivalency. They don't, they don't Listen, it, it ought to be uniform. Dark, air-cured tobacco and a little bit of vegetable gum. End of discussion. Right. End of discussion. Yeah. Or you really want to go through 50,000 SKU applications. I mean, it's, there are 4,500 applications behind now on cigarettes and smokeless. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous that even the bureaucracy couldn't handle it even if they wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, so that's got to be streamlined. It's got to be more uniformed of approach. Uh, we're helping to try to guide that process through our consultants, and, and this litigation process can help lead to that. And there, there's going to be an upcoming listening session with the FDA at the end of March, and these types of questions will be explored again there with the uh, office of the new commissioner. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm happy about what's going on. I'm excited yep. for it. And um, well, I'm, let me please say this: it's a yeah. long time coming. It's a long time coming. Oh yeah. And there's no patience in the cigar business. I mean, the sky was falling. Blah blah blah. Listen, it's a political process. One, the industry's new to new to Washington, and I say ten years. That's new. Now the CAA's been here for you know over eighty years, but this is the first time the really truly premium side of the business has had this type of. A, I'm calling it a focused effort on these products that we're smoking right now. Yeah. And again, that's just political reality. Yeah. And, uh, and 10 years is not a long time in this town. There's a lot of (laughs) special interest groups that have been a whole lot longer than that. But now we've got a core, a consistent core body of support in the Congress. Right. Um, as I've said on every broadcast I've ever been on, this battle is about both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue and a courthouse in between. Yeah. And exactly in in between. And this is about working the Trump administration for regulatory relief through the White House Office of Management and Budget, the Secretary of Health's Office, the Commissioner of the FDA's Office, various branches of the executive branch of the the presidency. It's about using Congress as a foundation for messaging 
It's about our legislation serving as a foundation for our message to the, the administration to give it credibility. And it's about the type of research that's been garnered over the last five to six years that we now totally have at our fingertips for the first time in the history of this entire industry yeah. saying, this is why we're different. This is why we're unique. Yeah. Amen. And, and Glenn, how do we as consumers and in, in the CRA capitalize on, on uh, this moment and keep this momentum going? Outstanding question. One, go to cigarrights.org and call and write, email your member of Congress. Use our system right there and to, to reach out to them. Visit, the, if you're a brick and mortar shop, visit the district office. There's no excuse in the world for a cigar shop not to go visit. They all live near one. They all live within 30 minutes of one. Uh, anywhere in the country you go, go to the local district office and say, listen, I'm watching what the congressman does on this. I am paying attention. I've got 3,000 customers that will vote on election day. Don't ignore me on this. Yeah. Mm. If you own a shop, there's no excuse in the world not to take that approach with any member of Congress. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we have we have some more questions, and we have a, a little bit of a surprise coming up. But before we get to the big surprise, um, I want to move into this week's Smokabulary word. Smokabulary. And as always, Smokabulary is brought to you by A.J. Fernandez. Born and raised in Cuba, A.J. Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The day-to-day -day operations at Tabacalera A.J. Fernandez are managed under the watchful eye of Mr. A.J. Fernandez himself in order to ensure superior quality. The A.J. Fernandez portfolio of premium cigars provides blend, strength, and flavor profiles to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer, whether it's New World, Diaz de Gloria, San Lacano, Ancos, or Bellas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from AJ Fernandez. So, guys, this week's smokabulary word is spill. And when I say spill, I'm not talking about spilled milk. We're talking about this thing Garrett's got here. This little, uh, tell us about what that is, Garrett. So, uh, this is a an acuto spill. Uh, most of the spills are made from a thin shaved piece of uh, cedar. And I'm not sure the history of the word spill, where that came from. I'm not sure. Um, but it is used, and a lot of people prefer to light their cigars with a spill. And um, you can... You know, as Matt is showing you, a lot of these are in uh, many cigar boxes, either yep. to separate the, the levels, um, yep. and they will add a bit of uh, humidity and flavor to the cigars at times, or uh, just a decorative piece to make the, the box smell good. And uh, if you break them apart, um, so right before the show, I had another sheet like that, and I have tons of spills. And as you can see, uh, they burn very well. Yeah, yeah, and they burn very well. And, and I'm a little crazy on that. It is it is fun sometimes if you've never if you've never lit a cigar with a cedar spill. It really 
is very interesting that because the that burning cedar puts such a such an intense aroma in the air mm-hmm. when you're lighting your cigar and it really does make a difference and it's it's kind of cool it just feels sort of old school sometimes yeah and, it and it's does. fun to do yep so that guys is this week's vocabulary words spill spill s p i l l and then we're doing spelling contests so before we move into the next segment I'm going to hit us with the surprise because then I'm going to be busy doing something while you're taking us through Numero de los Muertos. Okay. So, and I'm opening opening myself up to to ball busting and scrutiny, but I'm a I'm a grown man. I can take it. So, I'll preface it with this: I've had personally in a number of different areas of my life, I've had I've had a love hate relationship with different lobbying organizations. <laughs> I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of it, but. I'm going to say live on this show, I have never been, nor am I now, a member of CRA. But that is going to change right now live on the show. I'm going to go on CigarRights.org, and I'm going to sign up as a member right now. Right now. Thank you. Just so, to show thank you how very easy it is. Thank Just you very much. How easy it is. So, awesome. um, But while I'm doing that, we're going to go to Numero de los Muertos. All right, guys. So the number this week is 50 people die from this every year. And uh, this happens in North America, Africa, and Australia is where the, uh, the numbers are uh, verifiable for an average of 50 a year. It probably happens in other continents, but those were the three that had... Um, the good numbers. So, fifty yeah. people die from this. Okay. Who gets to guess? You, everybody, yeah, everybody, go, go, man. So you said it's it's all it's North America, North America, okay, Africa, and Australia. All right, you want one? Yes, sir. Scorpion bite. <laughs> close, but no. That oh, close though. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, I give up. Um, uh, there's got to be more people than that with snake bite it is yeah we did we did snakes we did snake bite a few months ago yeah um so the uh the first hint is this happens uh more after a flood has occurred more after a flood has occurred Mm -hmm. More after a flood has occurred, um, and it's because the uh, do people chime in with you guys online or something? We yeah, we do get uh, people guessing online. Um, nobody's uh, chiming in with uh, any nope. answers right now. Yeah, you guys uh, type your guesses in the comments if you have some. Yep. Um, this happens most often. After a flood has occurred, so if you think about uh, I mean, so, some type of infection as a result of the contaminated water, that's a good guess. But no, you are much closer with your first guess. <laughs> Close to scorpion and not an infection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God. All right, uh, here we go. This uh, so flooding. What flooding does 
is it uh, it wrecks the home of something that then comes to the surface. It wrecks the home that then comes to the surface. Mm -hmm. It wrecks the home of this thing that causes the deaths. Huh. Body slammed by a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking about that movie about the tsunami and all the Oh yeah. Stuff from the furniture that comes in and I've heard more people die as a result of being hit by right. objects in a tsunami than drown. Yep. I don't know, I've heard that. I don't know. All right, so it is a critter. Oh god. Yeah, back to the scorpions. It's a critter. Mm -hmm. Um platypus. <clears throat> they do contain a poison. Uh, or a venom, I should say. But it is not a platypus. Okay. Um, it has six legs. Uh, fire ant. Uh, a little broader, but you basically got it. Ants? Ants. Just ants in general? Yeah, so there's three types of ants that are responsible um, fire ants is one of them. Um, all three continents that I mentioned have a type of fire ant, um, but Africa is actually home to the, the deadliest of the ants. And um, they have uh, the cousin of this ant that's also in Australia. And uh, a fun fact, so after floods happen, ants are dehomed and um, they will come through villages and absolutely go through homes and kill anything that's sleeping or living. They, um, they will eat uh, rodents and other pests in homes. And uh, in Africa, the uh, many tribes will actually capture ants and use them as pest control. They will set them free in in uh, homes and huts and, and things to rid uh, the homes of uh, of uh, all the the pests and uh, it's crazy. And there uh, and I I forgot the the name, but there's one ant that has such strong jaws, yeah, that they actually use for sutures. So if they get cut or lacerated, yeah. They'll, they'll take an ant and put it over the laceration, and then the ant bites down so hard that it closes the wound, and then they just cut the head off and, and leave it there. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I learned something. That's graphic. So, um, nice, I like it. That's this week's Numero, Numero de, de los muertos. muertos. And, guys, I am now a paid member of the Cigar Rights of America. Good man, thank you so much. Boom, boom, and I encourage everybody to do the same. Don't if you if you've been hurt in the past by a lobbying organization, don't be afraid. Join CRA. <laughs> don't be afraid. Cigarrights.org. Cigarrights.org. Um, let's go to. Um, uh, let's go to a lightning round. Um, so, Glenn, if you could choose to hear the the thoughts of one living person for ten minutes. Who would it be and why? 
the thoughts of one living person, living person for 10 minutes, who would it be? Uh, all my favorites are dead. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Oh, because I think about the United States Senate on this TV behind me, and I think about geniuses like Daniel Patrick Moynihan, and they're not in the chamber anymore. Uh, thoughts of a live person for 10 minutes, who would it be? Mm. I've got so many that go through my mind. Uh, <laughs> You're going deep into the think tank on this one. Uh, I people, am. people usually answer like right away. I'm not putting any pressure on you, Glenn. I'm, I'm just saying. You know, people have uh, gone from, you know, presidents to uh, NFL coaches to uh, spouses. Yeah. Um, well, I tell you what, late in life, I have, uh, I have become a, uh, a Rolling Stones fan. Mm. I saw ran to Jack Toronto at the uh, last show of the last tour, what may be the last tour. So I will answer to this into the mind of Mick Jagger on what type of drugs he was taking to come up with some of the lyrics that he came up with. So I'm going with Mick Jagger on drugs. Uh, on drugs. That's a fantastic answer. I love it. How's that? Now, I had to dig deep for that's that. That's good. That's really good. But, uh, uh, so, Glenn. It's a, tie, it's a tie between Steven Tyler and Mick Jagger on what were they on when they came up with the lyrics. <laughs> love it. I love that. So, Glenn, if you were about to get into a fight, what soundtrack music would come on? Didn't you guys ask that question with somebody last week or something? Oh, we asked it to everybody. Every oh, do you? How well, many people say the theme from Rocky? How many? Well, we've heard that twice, I think. Yep. Yeah. That's the only one that comes to mind. It's and that's all right, man. And that's not a bad answer. Not at all. That's a I, I, I'm going with Rocky. I was a Maynard Ferguson fan. Oh, Maynard. Well, yeah. I met I met Maynard. I, I, so I, did I. I. He did a jazz workshop for us in college. And yeah. uh, then I met him personally years again, years later. And a uh, funny quick story. Uh, I was asked to drive him to his hotel and I locked my keys in my car. Oh. I was so excited. And I had to borrow a friend's car to get into the hotel. Oh, <laughs> but that's wor worthless Glenn trivia. That's fantastic. I love, I love that. Good um, story. So uh, choose one of the following. You could hit a home run as a starting pitcher. You could score a touchdown as a defensive lineman, or you could score a goalie, or you could score a goal in a hockey game as the goalie. Oh, I'm going with the hockey. Yeah. Most, <laughs> Most popular answer popular by far. Answer. I'm by, going with the hockey. Yeah, because it's it's so rare. You gotta love that. Um, so um, if you could give one piece of advice to new cigar consumers, what would it be? Oh wow. That's one, just one piece of advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, besides the join CRA, that's first and foremost. second piece of advice. No, we'll let them get through one cigar and then they can. Yeah. Get cigar. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll spot them that. Yeah. Um, honestly, I would say go into your local brick and mortar and spend some quality time with your local tobacconist. Spent awesome. before you ever light up, before you ever walk into the humidor, walk into the shop, start a conversation with the owner, become acclimated to what the culture of this industry is all about. Oh. Spend 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes with them before you ever 
ever, ever touch a cigar. Yeah. And then say, take me into the royal chamber and tell me what you think I ought to have. Yeah. That's a great answer. I love it. Yeah. So uh, basically the same question. If you could give one piece of advice to brick and mortar cigar retailers, what would it be? Go visit their bloody congressional office. <laughs> that is a great answer. Oh, my God. Yeah. No excuse. Yeah. One piece of advice. You're under threat as you never have before. You're paying your mortgage. You're putting your kids through college. You got to, you know, all of them are too far away from retirement. For God's sake, there's no excuse whatsoever. Yeah. If you own a shop, go to the congressional office. We'll ship you the briefing packet. You can download it from our page. Walk in there with the packet and say, where are you on this? Because it's my livelihood. Yeah. Because let me give you a quickie. In 2006, when we were getting started with these guys in, in Virginia, I told uh, Shorty Cable with Havana Connections uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and Scott Regina with uh, Emerson's in Virginia Beach, Gary Patch, Old Virginia Tobacco Company, our local shop, Milan Tobacco. I, I said, guys, you are no longer just tobacconists. You have to build politics into your job description or you're not going to be in business in 20 years. Yeah. It, it's, it's, the, it's reality. It's just political reality. So go do it. There's no excuse. I love that. Yeah, protecting your business. Um. So let's get into uh, this week's notable smokables, and I want to start with what Garrett and I have been smoking tonight, which is mm-hmm. for in uh, in honor of what a lot of us call Lancero February. We like to smoke a lot of Lanceros in February. It's a thing. Look it up. Uh, <laughs> it's a thing. Um, we are smoking uh, the La Promesa Lancero from My Father Cigars, mm. and loving every last puff. So so good. Um, so one of the um, one of the cigars that I actually reviewed recently, it's not published yet, but I reviewed it recently uh, and uh, got all my notes and everything down. A cigar that I enjoyed very much was um, the San Latano AJ and Hochi, mm. which is a killer collaboration cigar. And it's, it, I highly, re- it's the, it's the San Latano with the blue band and it's got the secondary band that says, says AJ and Hochi on it. I highly recommend you guys go out in there and find that at your at your local tobacconist because I enjoyed it a lot. And my first notable is uh, a gift from Matt. I had a wonderlust. Oh, the 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 Fiorella Corona. Yeah. I just I, I I just finished up the review on that one too. Did you? I got the pictures and I did the final notes and everything, and that'll be published soon as well. My review on that one would just say this is stupid. <laughs> stupid in in in, so in a good way. The way that all good. the kids are saying it these days. Yeah, things. it's what all the cool kids are saying. That's sick. Bro. <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> Uh, Glenn, we know you're smoking the uh, uh, the Ashton Symmetry uh, right now, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Is that- yeah, because I was pigeonholed into telling you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I would have kept my mouth shut. No secret. No, I'm just no kidding. Secrets. I'm just kidding. What? I'm very proud. <laughs> What's, uh, can you think of something else that you've, uh, that you've smoked recently, whether it was a cigar that's been on the shelf forever or a cigar that's new to the, to the shops? What, even, what- even with the caveat, they're all my favorites. They're all your favorites. But anyway, I will say because it's unique and because it's a limited uh, release, I, I think I'm on safe safe ground <laughs> by, by saying this. I was luck, lucky enough uh, to call up one of the shops that got the uh, the dress boxes for Pete's Halloween uh, issues. Oh. 
And so I got both, I hope I got Chuck and Tiff. Yeah. Uh, from Tatuaje. And I got so the Chuck and the Tiff, and they, the boxes slide together. It's pretty cool. I, I, I wanted the boxes, but you're always, you know, my my favorite one of those releases was the Mummy. And I don't know how much more of the cigar or the box, because I've still got it, and I, I love that box. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Chuck and Tiff have both been interesting because they're very, very different cigars. Oh, absolutely. And both very good. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, what was and it? never ask me that question again. Never again. <laughs> never. Not ever. Won't happen. <laughs> well, did you have another one this week, Garrett? I was really the, uh, to be honest, that was the, the most notable smokable I had this week. Okay. I didn't have a big week of cigars. I've been a uh, huge project at work. Oh, yeah. And so I've just had uh, little shorties to uh, kind of end my day for the nightcap. But Yeah. One, the only other notable one that I put on my list this week was, um, and ironically, it's another AJ uh, collaboration, but it's the, uh, um, the the Hoyo AJ Fernandez Dark Sumatra, um, which you've you've had a couple of those as well. Yes. And um, that's another one that I highly recommend. May Gusta. Very, very pleased with that cigar. Um, so listeners and viewers, guys, thanks again so much for joining us. Um, we want to give you some programming notes, some stuff we have coming up here in the near future. Um, next week uh, on the 11th is uh, to be determined. Um, we, we don't have uh, guests lined up, but we may just, uh, you know, talk about life and, uh, you know, who knows? Lawn darts. Lawn darts, um, outdoor, outdoor gaming. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, but the week, the, the week after that, on... Tuesday the 18th, um, we have Juan Martinez from Hoya de Nicaragua Cigars. Very, very excited for that. Boom. And then the following week on February 25th, Mr. Robert Caldwell yes. will be on the show live. So very Two much. great people. That, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and we have, um, we have something lined up for March as well, um, which I don't recall the date, but uh, Jonathan Carney from yep. La Florida Dominicana is going to be on the show in March. Captain America. Uh, Captain America, absolutely. We have a lot of great stuff lined up. We're very excited. Um, so, Glenn, give everybody a final closer. Tell them about uh, Cigar Rights of America and um, what they need to do as a cigar consumer or a cigar voter. Thank you. Start using that terminology. I appreciate it. I like it, yeah. Well, since the uh, the president just wrapped up his, uh, his State of the Union, literally, because it's on in front of me, um, I want to encourage everybody in the spirit of the State of the Union, to go to CigarRights.org. We, on our rotating banner, there was five recommendations for sending a tweet message to the president. And we hope everybody, there's a vicious, vicious rumor in Washington that the president pays attention to Twitter. And uh, <laughs> it's just a rumor. It's just a rumor. And so I don't know if I'm breaking that news here. I'm going to have on, to fact check how that. How about that? I, yeah, I think we should. I don't know if it's something that just popped up in the Washington Post. I have no idea, but rumor has it. And so anyway, let's send a volume of Twitter messages to the president. Go to our website. Pick one of the five that you're comfortable with that you like. Say something nice, uh, but but associated with protecting American jobs, American uh, Latin American jobs. Yeah. Uh, associated with Made in America. Uh, associated with your passion and ability to enjoy a cigar in your local cigar shop. But we've got the real Donald Trump uh, Twitter link right there. 
pick a message that you like, that you're comfortable with. Uh, send a nice, don't say anything ugly. Send a nice message to the president mm-hmm. and say, listen, this is perfectly consistent with your regulatory agenda, your anti-regulatory agenda. Unleash the bureaucracy on the federal on of the federal bureaucracy. Get them off the back of the premium cigar industry. So pick them. Let's all send a bunch of messages tonight. Yeah. Uh, we hope everybody joins. There's power in numbers. Yep. There's a uh, big time smoking issues coming up in Oklahoma. There's big tax issues in Maryland and New York and Virginia. We've got a link to every every state. Every state has their own page at cigarrights.org, and we post all the bills that are relevant in your state on your state page and then go to our legislative action center, pick the petition. Uh, and, and right now it's, it just got through the Senate that if you like the smoking uh, cigars on a beach in Florida, you better act because yeah. the Senate in Florida, the state Senate just passed a bill that's going to give greater local control. And we're hoping it dies in the, in the house, the Florida house. So the, everybody's got an issue, but we've got to pay attention to the politics of cigars. If we're going to protect this passion, yeah. we all share <laughs> And it's none of this us versus them. Uh, we're all, you know, brothers and sisters of the leaf. Not to use that. It's it's true. It's yeah. true. I got. I'm running out of juice, kids. Uh, but, all right. But every everybody's got to be engaged and involved. Yeah. And I really, really thank guys like you for helping us to spread the word. Absolutely. Well, hey, guys. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, my final thought is, you guys, the the CRA has made all of the the groundwork easy for you. As Glenn just explained, it's all there on the website. You don't have to do all this research and looking around. All the links, everything is right there on the website. They have done the groundwork, not only for consumers, but shop owners and everybody. Please go and check out CigarRights.org. Become a member, and uh, let's let's protect our culture. Yeah. And, if, and if any of your listeners are ever in Washington and they want to personally meet with the staff of their member, we'll help set it up. Fantastic. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, guys, if you're listening, if you're watching, take a minute, go to cigarrights.org, learn about what we can do together as cigar consumers, as cigar voters to get the word out and to keep fighting for this culture that we love so much. Uh, Glenn, thanks again. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank All right, you. guys, until we see you next time, burn cigars, not bridges. Take care. <laughs>